We're proud to announce CISO Stories, a new podcast series in partnership with Cybersecurity Collaborative and Cyber Reason. CISO Stories features the candid perspectives and experiences of frontline senior security executives and dives deep into timely security topics. CISO Stories is hosted by Todd Fitzgerald, VP of Cybersecurity Strategy at Cybersecurity Collaborative, and Sam Curry, Chief Product and Security Officer at Cyber Reason. Listen weekly as they speak with extraordinary CISOs by visiting securityweekly.com forward slash CSP. Welcome back to Security and Compliance Weekly. Hey, if you have any specific guest or topic requests that you want us to cover on one of our shows, or really any of our shows, you can submit your suggestions for guests by visiting securityweekly.com forward slash guests and filling out the form. We review those on a regular basis and we'll reach out to you once we've reviewed. Also, exciting to announce our next live webcast will be on March 18th. That's the day after St. Patrick's Day. Hangovers notwithstanding, we'll be broadcasting 11 a.m. Eastern Time, when you, and you can learn how to prepare Linux hosts for unexpected threats. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash webcast to register now. Also, of course, if you've missed any of our previously recorded webcasts or technical trainings, they're all available on demand for your viewing pleasure, by, and you can get there by going to securityweekly.com forward slash on demand. All right. Uh, we already touched on it a little bit. Uh, I posted a couple uh, stories just sort of kick off the conversation for the second half. Uh, they're in the show notes. I think they're under underneath my profile. Um, and and Priya had alluded to a, a couple of them. And I don't know if there's any particular order we want to pick up on. Um, but where we left off from the first segment was sort of wondering about, uh, you know, how to how to how to make the law work for us? How to how to make the law be a positive thing uh, in terms of cybersecurity? Um, I don't know if we'll get around to compliance today or not, and and how compliance would would or would not or can or cannot play a role. Um, we did bring up the the Florida water treatment uh, facility issue of a month or so ago, uh, and the challenges there because it's a public sector. But uh, I guess my opinion in general, from a compliance perspective, and I'll shut up after that, and and we'll get back to talking to Priya. That uh, for many companies and organizations in the private sector, and probably even in the public sector as well, uh, stuff doesn't happen unless you're required to do it by regulation or compliance standard. Um, we just haven't gotten to the point as a society where we. We're going to do this thing called security because it's the right thing to do. We're we're motivated motivated by doing what's motivated. cheap. Motivated, <laughs> uh, a little bit too much of the the juice here. No, nah, mm. drink more, drink more, but um, totally drink more. Yeah, I mean, you know, come on, we'll drink more, especially tomorrow. But um, you know, I. I you know, how does the law help in in terms of regula- regulation and compliance? Is there a difference? Is there a difference between private and public sector? Let's jump back into it. Take it away, Priya. Right. Well, so I think one of the like a great example of why lawyers cannot do this on our own is I am bewildered that all of you have my background as your background. And the only explanation I have for how you did that is magic, right? And like the idea that somebody like me who, you know, went to fancy schools and has had, you know, quite a great career 
would be in charge of dealing with compliance or regulation on, on security issues when I, I basically learned a double click last week is, is preposterous, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the question is like, is there, one question we all have to tackle is, is there still a difference between private and public? When you talk about impact, for example, the coronavirus is a, is a great example. Does it matter if half the people in a company get coronavirus versus half the people in a community, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's the same, right? If you are working somewhere and all of your accounts have been compromised and your accounts are not limited to your company, right? You might have, like most people, bank accounts that you access online. You may have leaked just the way we've been breathing over each other and spreading this virus. Your like little mom and pop company with its lack of cybersecurity defense may have caused you, the employee, to have leaked this virus all over, right? To every Mm. website you go to. You've unwittingly done it. You have no idea it has happened. Um, you know, we'll, we'll just keep using the, the metaphor. You're an asymptomatic carrier, right? right? Because people are not, back to your word, silo. Maybe we need a silo counter. Because people are not siloed, right? People don't live just in their government job or in their private life. People are free-flowing, right? We, we use, every single one of us uses some public um, institution at some point during the day, or even if you don't realize it, right. The, you know, the people who, mm-hmm. who demand less taxes, I'd say, well, do you use the roads, right? Like, did you use your easy pass? All of these are public institutions and the post office, any of it. Um, I think we have to stop thinking about this in, in this binary it's either, or, um, and we also have to stop thinking about it in terms of whose responsibility it is, because the impact is borne on on everyone. The threat is to everyone. The risk is to everyone. So if you step back and you think about the countries who acknowledge that the health of their citizens is not an individual issue, in fact, no society can be that healthy if everyone isn't to a certain level of health. You have the same... Herd immunity and... You know, you're talking about herd immunity and you're talking about, wow, my background is effed up. I, I don't know where I got this background anyway. Um, but uh, you're talking about herd immunity. You're talking about, you know, the collective efficacy, things like that, right? I'm talking about that, but I'm also talking about, um, you know, a lot of the countries, like Australia is a great example. Um, Australia is not a socialist con- country, right? It's but it has a very robust infrastructure where healthcare and education are paid for because somebody sat down and did the math. Forget what you morally think about this, but somebody sat down and think did the math and said it is way cheaper for everyone to have healthcare and everyone to have education as a society. It costs us way more to have people who are uninsured and uneducated, mm-hmm. right? People can, you know, live and they don't become enormous bombs of um, costs, right? As opposed to, you know, little tiny events here and there we can all manage. And so if you think about the same thing with 
with cybersecurity, right? If this was a viewed as a national issue, right? What is not McDonald's costs or Microsoft's costs or you know the, your your local coffee shop's costs of a cyber attack? But what is the national cost of something like that? Because as I said, that attack will it may infiltrate and penetrate all sorts of companies. Then you start thinking about it as this is our issue, right? As as a country, and then do we attack it from the the way of thinking about insurance, right? Do we require people to have insurance? Is this the kind of insurance that is paid for by all the taxpayers, right? Because it is in everyone's best interest. As in, you know, we our tax money currently goes towards all sorts of defense, right? Should it go towards this sort of defense? Because it does affect each person. Um, the, these are our major thought shifts that have to happen before we can start deciding how to regulate it. You know, part of what's so complicating this issue is the world of computers and cybersecurity and artificial intelligence and all this has been tied um, intellectually to capitalism, right? In that mm-hmm. it's property, it's worth something. If you are the person who discovered the widget or the way to do something, you can become the next Bill Gates or, or Elon Musk or um, Jeff Bezos. And decoupling that, right? And saying it's not just worth something in a positive way, but it's also worth something as a cost to everybody, I think is, is really important. Because when once you have the, the, the capitalism um, flag waving over it, and it's like intellectual property, and you know, the, this is partially why the, the silos in the government want to keep their secrets, right? Because the secrets are worth something right? Um, Microsoft keeps its secrets. Everyone wants to keep its secrets, but what is the cost to everybody of those secrets? And how do we then still give people an incentive to make, to make money, right? How do you advance this? And, and, you know, one, one thought I had, um, we have white hacker programs. Like what if the, what if the world powers like the, the climate accord paid into, or at least agreed to pay into a fund where whistleblower hackers from all over the world, like let's say you got some some Russian guy, we're going to just pick on Russia for a second, Russia, 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 um, is, is working with the team and they have developed this uh, amazing virus that is going to bring the world down or America down or New York down and someone on that team realizes if I call this whistleblower hotline, I'm, they might pay me out to report it, right? <laughs> and it was we would be worth way more to me if I made this call than this group might get and give me my a lot. Or like, however that works, we can incentivize that, right? Just the same way we're incentivizing the 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 white hat hackers. There's lots of if if we break down the paradigms in, in which we think about these things, there's a lot of innovation um, in regulation, in compliance, in um, in strategy that that we can do. But we have to break those ideas down first, and 
The other thing I like about Australia, and 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 I'm sure it relates somehow, although I'm not sure why, is uh, Australia. Well, there's that too. Uh, Australia requires all of its citizens to vote. You are fined yes. if you do not vote. Uh, yes. And 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 you know that in contrast with all the whatever side you fall on, whether you believe it's real or not, voting regulations, uh, voter suppression versus voter fraud stuff that goes on here in the U.S. I have a random off-the-wall question for you, but I think it's uh, you're, you're covering so many complex, deep issues and, and concepts. Why is it that historically, at least in the U.S., I don't know if it's true in, in Great Britain or not, but uh, historically in the U.S., I think it's the majority of people that get involved in politics. You can at least see it in the, you know, in the Congress and, and very often, uh, you know, who becomes president. Why, why are so many of the people involved in politics? Uh, do they start out as lawyers? Um, there, there seem, yeah. I, the, well, one of the reasons is that the government are the lawmakers. And so um, historically, the people, you know, Abe Lincoln was a lawyer, right? Um, I think yep. a couple of the Lincoln? Adams were. Yep, sorry. Um, and so they knew how to read the law and they were there to try to write and change it. And so I, I think that's part of, of the draw um, in that it, it does benefit society for a law to be well-written. So it, I'll just give you guys a quick primer. Two of the <laughs> biggest challenges to any new law, and the challenges really only come up when someone tries to apply the law, is that it's it's vague, right? It's, it's written in a way that you have no idea. Like if I said, um, it is illegal to be a jerk, right? And then I mm -hmm. went and arrested one of you and I said, you're a jerk. Like you would say this, this law is void for vagueness because it doesn't def define what that means. Like no one can actually change their behavior in a way to be compliant with this law. Right. And so it is um, on one level, it is really helpful. Just the way I was saying, you can't really create cybersecurity policy without having a team of people who are just in that field, not lawyers who know a little bit about it, but people who are in that field. It's hard to write laws that are going to withstand the scrutiny of legal challenges if the, there aren't actually lawyers involved in the drafting of those laws. And that's who the people who draft the laws are, 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 are government are elected government officials. And so it's helpful when they're lawyers. And, and often laws become unwieldy draconian, useless when they're drafted by people who aren't lawyers, right? A, a lot of, um, mm -hmm. a lot of people get voted into office on platforms that are really reactionary and, um, then try to push forth legislation, which is, you know, obviously just a word for, for laws and action, um, that are, are, are useless and unwieldy, and then they end up clogging up the system as opposed to actually dealing with whatever issue or behavior they wanted to deal with. So that's a very long answer to your question of why lawyers often end up in government. Well, I, I appreciate that because uh, it's something I've often wondered. Um, 
to pick up, uh, you know, what you're saying is sparking so many thoughts. I want to actually pick up on the, uh, we mentioned Schoolhouse Rock and we sang the I Am a Bill song. But if you remember that episode, <laughs> the the problem that is trying to be addressed, if I recall from memory correctly, is the need for uh, school buses to stop before they cross a, a railroad. Uh, at least that's what I can remember in the cartoon. And, you know, th- the larger thing was there, there, somebody saw a need, there was a need to, to provide some sort of a law for, for, for safety, for, for, for public safety, for the, for the common good. And I, I think simplistically that's, or idealistically, that's why so many people alleged to get involved in politics because they want to do something for the greater good. Uh, and yet <laughs> the, the jaded part of me says, yeah, but most of them are in it for themselves. And, 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 you know, there's all the, you know, the nature of politics is, is seems to be what's in it for me. What's best for me. I, I think it was Ronald Reagan that, that expressed it. Uh, I don't know if he was the first one to do it, but you know, in in his campaign for reelection, he said, "You just have to ask yourself: Are you better off than you were four years ago?" Maybe that was for his first election. That's how he beat Carter. And to me, that's the epitome of selfishness and greed, and not doing things for the greater common good. Um, I'm jaded. I'm cynic, cynical. Uh, I don't. I don't see a, a positive outcome when we when we we shift gears to the world of cyber and 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 the fact that there are no borders and the borders were politically created and economically created in the first place. Where do we go from here? But oh, good, somebody put up the. I'm going to watch that as soon as the show's over. We should all watch it together on the after party. The uh, I am a Bill episode. Um, so, you know, the other question that, uh, that's been nagging, nagging me is you're a criminal attorney. You're a criminal defense attorney, if Correct. I understand correctly. Uh, and yet you were talking about there's a need, uh, you know, there's a need for a, 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 a broader category of lawyer, the, the, the concept of patent lawyer. Uh, what other law is there? I mean, you're, you're, you're a defense attorney. You're a prosecutor. There's, there's litigation. There's civil suits. There's criminal uh, and yet there's all these lawyers that get involved in government. Uh, can you encapsulate for us lay people, uh, you know, what are, what are the current sort of uh, silos of law, if you will? Yeah, so there's basically, um, I'll, I'll, I'll break it down simply. There's two types of lawyers. There's corporate lawyers who are mm-hmm. deal makers, right? And in that you can call pe- everyone from... Um, people who do mergers and acquisitions, who do um, like real estate deals and and work on contracts, entertainment lawyers, those are all corporate lawyers. They don't go to court. They work, um, you know, they represent their own clients, but they work to try to make a deal, right, with, with, with someone else. And then on the other side of the world are litigators. And litigators are people who fight with another party over someone has accused someone else of doing something wrong. So for example, if, um, if, if Microsoft and Apple were merging, you would have corporate lawyers who were working on that deal and, and papering up the deal and trying to make it 
um, you know, pass all regulation and blah, 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 blah. And then let's say something went wrong with that deal. Maybe somebody sued and said it violates the antitrust law. Then you have litigators who deal with the lawsuit happening in court. So corporate lawyers are people who don't go to court and litigators are people who go, who go to court and who, um, who fight it out in court. So within those worlds, you know, you have tax lawyers, um, who give people tax advice, who would be on the corporate side. But then you also have, um, you, there's a specialty within law. You can get something called an LLM, which is an advanced degree. Um, it's, it's, an, it's a master's of law available to people who already have a law degree. And one popular one people get is an LLM in tax because tax is such a specific subject that even having passed the bar and taking the part on tax, you won't be an expert on it and be able to give the type of advice that somebody with an LLM in tax has. So, um, you know, you could be a, a litigator who also has an LLM in tax. So someone gets um, indicted, let's say, on a criminal federal tax case, you might want someone who's a litigator and a, and a trial lawyer and a defense lawyer who also has an LLM in tax. So that those are sort of the broad categories. So then within litigation, um, if it's a criminal case, that means the government has accused you of breaking a law. If it's a civil case, anybody can sue anybody, including the government. So this, the government can sue you civilly, like the EPA might sue you civilly. Um, or anybody can sue anybody else for alleging that they you've wronged me in some way. Um, and criminal defense lawyers specifically represent people when they're accused of crimes. And um, it is a very specific niche. I always tell people that it's not something you also do. It's something that you do. So just like you wouldn't go to your general practitioner and say, would you mind doing this brain surgery on me? You would go to a brain surgeon because that's the thing they do. And you want someone who knows this inside and out. So that is a, a, a an explanation of, of how lawyers work. Did, did that answer your question? No, that did. It, I, I mean, we're all just going, uh, just soaking it all in. Uh, appreciate it very much. Um, the one article that, that we mentioned very briefly about uh, the the is it Southern Cal that's that's starting a, a cyber war or a cybersecurity focused uh, master's pro program degree program. Uh, I wanted to come back to that real briefly because you had said we need more people in and I'm paraphrasing in all walks of life, uh, or at least people that are cybersecurity professionals to learn the law. Uh, so are you encouraging all of us to sign up for that program? Uh, are you eligible to take, you know, concentrations like that? If you're not seeking a law degree, maybe the answer so is yes. Cause they'll take our money. <laughs> that, that program is, um, is for people who don't have law degrees and, you know, it, it, I actually, I felt like a genius cause I was thinking about the topic. I was like, this would be a perfect program. And then I saw that USC had the thought before me, um, <laughs> because having that degree would give you a leg up on, on other people, right? Like people who at the beginning of this podcast didn't know a lot of the things I say are like, Oh, well now I might think about something sort of differently. Right. And once you're armed with that knowledge, as I said, like the law moves at the glacial pace. Right. Um, 
what you learn in law school is, is not necessarily the law, but this would be a program that was more specifically about the law, but it's about how to think about law, right? It's how to understand an issue and, and, and break it down to figure out what's relevant, what's not relevant, um, how to, you know, cast your argument and anticipate sort of counter arguments. It's more of that you do learn some specific things, but it's a way to think. And I, that, information, that knowledge, if that was sort of in, in now I'm, I'm going to refer to the matrix when he sits down and says like, I, I need to know how to fly this helicopter. And he does, right. If you took the world's <laughs> greatest hackers and they, you know, were able to stick a wire in their brain and suddenly learn how regulations are, what the regulations are, how you create them, blah, 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 blah. It would be such a game changer. Right. And that would be the type of person that you would want on any team, right? You would want on a team of advisors to the government when they're creating regulation, because these people actually know what they're talking about, right? They know both parts. Um, you would want, if you hired an outside consulting group, if you wanted to create a organization that vetted, um, I think Scott had referred to this, that vetted your um, chief technology officer, right? And and created tests for them every six months to make sure they're actually up to snuff. That's who you'd want doing it, right? You That's the group that would in, you know, in a year or two of, of learning this, this master's program would be able to learn how to read new regulations and understand how they're going to impact this field. So I, I think that a program like that is, is not only a great idea, but I would like to see a trend where that becomes required for certain positions that you just, you know, I, I say to people all the time when they complain about the, the law to me and I, and I say, um, you know, the, the law's working exactly the way it was intended to. Your objection isn't that the outcome, your objection is you don't like the intent of it. So you should learn how laws are made so that you could have the impact on the level you want it to have. Right. But you could say the same thing about government too. Exactly. That's exactly, that's exactly what I'm saying. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. if, if you're voting for a candidate based on X, Y, and Z, but your complaints are A, B, and C, you need to understand the marriage between how A, B, and C and X, Y, and Z come together. Like what's the alphabet in the middle. Right. So Anyway, uh, I, I, yeah, but, but it, and, and I, I hear absolutely everything you're saying and holy cow, that's a lot of information. (laughs) My brain keeps going back to, well, if we're using laws from the 1930s, like the wiretapping law that you referenced in the previous episode, if you haven't seen it, go back and watch segment, Um, segment, segment, segment. Yep. Thank you. Um, I keep sitting here saying to myself, well, everything that we have our laws based on are resultant of pre-well-established problems that have arisen. And that's how we have the uh, precedence that's been set inside of uh, a a lot of the laws that we see today. Everything with cyber is brand spanking new. And the government, along with law, are always going to be playing catch up because there's no flexibility to be able to think ahead and see ahead on problems. We don't know what's going to arise. So how Priya do we overcome something like that as far as a gap? 
So the, you know, your, your question is, is an excellent one and I'm going to blow your mind by, um, by answering sort of another question, which is (laughs) this sort of circumstance has been encountered by the government many times. Most recently, I would say, is after the 9-11 attacks, right? After the 9-11 attacks, the U.S. government essentially kidnapped a bunch of people, called them suspects, hid them in, in secret places. And then because the government felt that this was an emergency unlike any other before, it decided it is outside the law, not above it, but just outside it, and began torturing people, right? And came up with all sorts of justifications that, yes, we have the Geneva Convention that we signed on to, yes, we have our own laws, yes, we have our own procedures, but that does not matter right now. This is an emergency, and so we are going to act in real time, we are going to make decisions, and we'll deal with the consequences later, right? And every people can have different views of whether that was the right thing to do, whether torturing people was uh, useful, whether it was effective, whether it was worth it, right? Um, you know, if you, you do the moral balancing scale of what we got um, from torturing people versus what it cost us as, you know, collective soul, fine. But this is another circumstance like that. So I think that who whoever answers your question, Scott, of like, what do we do? Because this is unprecedented, has to go back and look at that moment and draw some lessons from it, right? Like, this is not going to be torture, right? Um, but it is going to be acting outside the law because the law cannot have been written until after. So, well, I was going to say, Priya, I mean, you're, you're sort of folding over the, you know, the whole notion of we need to be future thinking and, and thinking outside of the box, but we're doubling down on the, but, you know, the way the system is designed, whether it's the legal or the government, is to is to draw on the past, you know, learn from the past, be reactionary to things that have already happened. And, and so once again, we're, we're sort of at that that perfect storm of how does how do those two things work together, those diametrically opposed forces? Yeah, and then I think part of the answer is a like global committee that treats cyber events like natural disasters, right? That gives itself authority with the information from ethicists to like <laughs> computer experts to legal experts of what the boundaries of that authority are, um, but gives them real time ability to react even in, mm. when there is no law in place. Um, and I think the, the understanding has to be that's for everyone's greater good, right? If Yeah, it's like, funny you bring cool. that up because I've been, I've been meaning, uh, I've been looking for a place to ask for like 40 minutes now. It, uh, do we need to have an international uh, court of law, an international legal body. I mean, is, doesn't that already exist? Isn't there like an international criminal court or something like that? The Hague, yeah, the Hague is the international the criminal Hague. court. And there's actually a Hague, yep. which is an IT group out of, uh, literally in that same geographic area that, uh, it works with multiple computer 
advocacy groups, I guess, around the world to uh, put together um, standards and such so that they can interoperate. Uh, and then you've got ISO, which is the International Standards Organization and, and groups like that. But it's it's not easy. Hey, it's you're forgetting easy. about ICANN. Oh, well, as international as that gets. Um, I can't. I mean, it, it's true. No, Somebody fight true. me here. <laughs> well, so we all need to fight this collective battle. Um, functional international groups, right? There's the UN, which you know was founded in good intention, and um, it, it requires a buy-in, right? Like for right. it to be effective, you have to agree that it is an authority that can and will um, curb your behavior. Uh, the, the problem is agree. That word right there doesn't happen in our industry. <laughs> right. And, and you know, there's the World Health Organization. There's the World Bank. There are, there are world organizations. But I, I do think absolutely we need uh, an international organization, at the very least, because we are not the, at the forefront of these issues. Right. And now I'm, I'm circling back. Like, we're, for 12 years, we've been playing defense. Right. Like right. We, we, we should not be leading the charge. We need people who are ahead of us um, at the table and we want to be invited to that table. But it's not our table. Right. It, it is. It, those seats are claimed rightfully by, you know, whether it's Russia, China, North Korea, you know, you, you, you all know better who's like the who's who in the hacking as of you know, 115 on March 16th, 2021, like that's who needs to be there, right? This isn't about um, GDP or anything else. This is a different resource. Your ability to, um, to pioneer and crack the code in the security world is going to be the next land grab. So. Hmm. All right. Well, very fascinating discussion. We've touched on so many complex issues and, and, uh, I'm sure I, I speak for most of us uh, when I say, wow, this is really depressing. Um, so appreciate <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, my. Come on, Jeff. It's not that bad. But <laughs> Yeah, I, I, it is that bad just because it takes so daggone long to make any of this happen. Just remember, in, in the early 90s, I was working at NSA and we were operating off a, if I'm doing the math right, a 60-year-old wiretapping law to, to try to determine what the ground rules were for ethical hacking. Um, Priya, thank you so much for schooling us. Uh, schoolhouse rock style, we ought to make a video with you sometime. Johnny, make a note of that. Uh, pre appreciate your time and, and your expertise and your knowledge. And uh, and uh, that's going to wrap us for this week. We need to, we need to call it quits sometime. And um, we will be back next week. Don't know what the topic is yet, but we'll have something fun in store for all of us. So until next time, Amen. thanks for joining us.